Welcome to part two of episode 69 of It Wasn't Me, a true crime podcast where we chat about murder. I'm Mercedes and Chaz is with me again this week since Cindy couldn't be. And Chaz is my son and he's awesome and highly entertaining. Say hello, Chaz. Hello, y'all. Thank you for listening to us last week for part one, where we discussed the murders of Drew Cataldi and Trisha Nordman and the convictions and sentences of their murderers, Rick Holt and his girlfriend, Sarah Pender. For warning, the show is often horrifying and graphic, and we do use offensive language. So if you have kids, put them away for a while and join us for a murder. Also, we are passionate and always have been about true crime. But I must warn you, we might make jokes and laugh during this podcast. If you want to learn more about us, visit our website at itwasn'metruecrime.com to find links to our social media pages. We drop a new episode every Friday morning, and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform so you don't miss out. Thanks for listening. If you are even slightly entertained by our Southern charm, leave us a five-star rating along with a comment. If not, reach out to us to let us know how we can improve. Also, spread the word and recommend our podcast to your friends and family or even your enemies. That was amazing, Chaz. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you, mother? I'm good. Um, I can kind of hear dad in the background, so hopefully we can edit him out. If not, hey, that's our background ambiance. So did you have a good day? I did. How about you? Um, I did. It was exhausting, but yeah, it was a good day. And uh, I had worked hard on this. You know, the week was kind of tough, but um, I worked hard on this at the last minute so that I wanted to finish it up tonight for sure. So now we, uh, now we see where I get it from. Yeah. What well, you get what from waiting to the last minute? Yeah, I'm out yeah. projects. I'm usually not like that, but I do get like that sometimes. You know, it depends on the mood, but. Uh, we now pause this moment to shout out our sponsors. We would like to snack candy bar, the left or the right one. I definitely prefer the right one. And the most delicious chocolate candy snack in all the lands. All right, sorry. All right, you ready? Yeah, I was just shouting out our sponsors. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I'll add it too. Are you ready to get started? If you were not here last week, didn't listen last week, Take a minute, go back and listen, because this is part two, and you don't want to miss anything that I discussed last week. It's kind of important, but I am going to give a quick recap, because I think we all need that. So, Sarah Pender, when she was 21, met Rick Hull at a fish concert. We talked about the fish concert and that culture, and she quickly fell in love with this former high school football player. Big old guy, like a tight end. What, what, what did we say? O-line guy, right? O-line, yeah, he was yeah. a big boy. Yeah, so they were living together within a month. They had roommates and he was a drug dealer. Turns out that their roommates, Drew and Trisha Nordman, uh, Drew Cataldi and Trisha Nordman, who were fugitives from Nevada Department of Corrections, were meth heads, they were meth addicts and Anyway, according to Pender's account of what happened on October 24, 2000, which is an account that has pretty much remained consistent, she left the house when Hull and Cataldi started arguing about drugs and cash. She said that she returned later to find a dark and blood-soaked house. Her, bu- her boyfriend had gunned down their roommates with the 12-gauge shotgun that she had purchased earlier that day at Walmart. 
Um, she also said that she helped hold dump the bodies into a dumpster a few blocks away. I guess she ran in, got blankets. She jumped in the pickup truck. She didn't call police and she went to work the next day like nothing happened. And in an interview with a star, she said that she had no choice but to help him because doing anything else and she would have been the third victim. Oh, yeah. Most so, definitely. Yeah. All right. So she ends up going to trial. Well, he ends up uh, pleading guilty. Um, she goes to trial and the prosecutor, Larry Sells, tells the jury Pender is a dangerous criminal. She's a master manipulator. She wielded her intelligence, her sex appeal like deadly weapons. And he argued that her, now these are not my words, okay? This, these are things that he said to the jury. Yes, yeah, uh, trying to build a defense, right? right? Very dramatic flair. You know, her sweet suggestions and tender kisses bent the will of whole, her hulking boyfriend, persuading him to kill Cataldi and Norman. It just seems so Shakespearean, maybe. Yeah, kind of beauty of the beast. Yeah. Well, he actually sold this to the jury. Um, he also said that rick holt may have pulled the trigger but sarah pender pulled the strings now i have a really hard time thinking there's a big old tall former football player current drug dealer as her puppet i just don't i don't know if i buy it or not but no actual physical evidence ties her to the murders however she purchased that murder weapon the day of the murders from walmart and her actions in the aftermath of the murders as well as our behaviors and the two years that led up to her trial convinced the jury that she was a cold-blooded murderer so they found her guilty of two counts of murder and she was sentenced to now i put here 110 years but i think i'm wrong on that she was sentenced to like 56 years or something she doesn't get out until she's over maybe 75 she might be 75 years old when she gets out. She'll be an old woman. Sarah was mostly convicted, remember, on the admittance of a letter that she supposedly wrote to Rick Coldy. Remember I told you about that letter last week? Um, it's kind of prominent in this one, but she, in that letter, she supposedly admitted to killing Drew and Trisha. Like she says, it must have been the acid. Drew, Drew was mean and I snapped. She wrote all this stuff in this letter, supposedly. Um, his attorney, he says, oh, well, Sarah wrote me this letter. She's the one that killed Drew and Trisha. Now, there was also another piece of evidence against her, which was the guy you're talking about, the inmate um, who was a jailhouse snitch. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Sorry. So at the time, he wasn't, they didn't know him as a jailhouse snitch, but he, he came forward claiming that he was with Sarah at Wisher Hospital and they were alone for 30 minutes, which a lot of people say can't can't be possible for them to leave two prisoners alone for 30 minutes. They said that's, you know, that must be a lie too. But during that time when they were alone for 30 minutes, she supposedly told him that she was actually at the house when Rick shot um, the two. So those pieces of evidence that were controversial, those were her key points of argument when she requested an appeal. So I want to discuss the letter. Like I said, it plays prominently because the letter was really the only hard piece of evidence. If it's, you know, if it's an admission that she did it, it was proof of her guilt. So allegedly she wrote this letter on May 16th, 2001 to her boyfriend, which was supposedly sent to him while he was in jail, but there was never an envelope found. An envelope never came through with, um, you know, from her. It was, you know, when, when letters come to the prison, they go through. Yeah. Imagine they get logged and checked like, in. Yes. Some... X-rayed and all that. And there is no log of that letter. Hmm. 
months later, he had this letter for months. In September, he ends up giving it to his attorney, who then gave it to a detective, the detective on the case, Kenneth Martinez. This happened in October. And remember that a handwriting analysis did say that it was Sarah Pender who wrote the letter, but her lawyers, and even she says that it was manufactured evidence that Hull wanted to use against her because he wanted a lower, a lesser sentence. He got 75 years and he didn't want that much. So he's like, no, she did it. But there are several elements that support her claim that the letter was not, she didn't write it. So first and foremost was Hull himself came forward and said, okay, I lied. She didn't really write it. He said that he had a fellow inmate forge the letter. And he said that while he was in the Marion County Jail, he showed samples of Pender's handwriting to an inmate, Steve Logan. He asked Logan to write the letter because Logan had, you know, pretty feminine handwriting. In his admission, Hull said that he struck a deal with Logan. He's like, dude, I will protect you on the block because he's like this skinny little white guy if Logan would forge a letter. Hull's goal was to get a shorter sentence, just as Pender's lawyer said. He His little fake letter ploy backfired, though, because he was trying to get resentenced. He was saying that his sentence of 75 years in prison was unjust. So... <laughs> On May 4th, he did get his resentencing hearing, and the court found that Hull had committed perjury, so they gave him a longer sentence. Now, he has served 90 years instead of 75, but believe it or not, the court's, that admission that he said that that letter was fake did not benefit Sarah at all. Her, her attorneys kept saying, you know, this is the main evidence against Sarah, this letter, which, which she admits to killing Drew, that it's a fake. It's not even real. So they showed that the letter, like they did fingerprints on the letter and like there were fingerprints all over it. They belonged to Hull and they belonged to Logan, but not a single fingerprint belonged to Pender. Man, uh, I, I'm having a hard time. He even admitted that it was fake. Right. I mean, it took him three years, but still. Yeah. So they also brought to light that in 80 letters that she had sent to him, she never printed. She always wrote in cursive. Um, they also said that, you know, Steve Logan, the, the fellow inmate, he never admitted to writing the letter, but he did testify that Hull showed him Pender's letters and asked him to write some letters. So he's like, well, I know he was asking around about it, but I didn't write it. Logan claims that he didn't write the letter, like I said, and Pender's request for an appeal also included an affidavit from a private investigator that her team hired and which Steve Logan admitted that he, he himself was asked to forge the letter. Lastly, Hull's jail cell had been searched in, uh, let's see, in July, right? So his cell has been searched in July. All communication between the two had stopped. Like they were searching every letter that came in. If it was from Sarah, he would not get it. So her family and her attorneys are like, how does this letter that was forged show up all of a sudden when all of the mail had ceased between them? So they're just saying, you know, somebody should reconsider her case, reconsider her sentence. So what do you think? I just want to know who wrote the letter. If it wasn't Logan and it wasn't Hole, then... So she should at least get a new trial or something should happen to investigate that, right? 
yeah it sounds a little fishy for sure yeah and you know the the wheels of the court are and you know i guess the prison system are very very slow as we know so you know her her attorneys are filing appeal requests and they're doing their best to get her out of jail but while she's in jail she's making quite a few friends okay so she has a prison wife um a woman named jamie long and she also has several hot pen pal relationships like I think I read 12. She was writing, you know, these steamy sexual letters, including the one that she had with Floyd Pennington. That was the inmate who testified against her that we said was a jailhouse snitch. Yeah, that's another thing I find funny is that she never slowed down. No, she didn't. And, you know, I try not to be judgmental because, you know, she's early 20s. And um, but but yeah, it's it seems a little bit excessive to me. In April 2007, she submitted a, a petition for writ of habeas corpus. Habeas uh, corpus, that's Latin. It is. Do you know what it means? Uh, I do not. Corpus, Mr. Walker would be so upset right now. Right. Corpus is, it sounds like corpse. It means body. Like it, what it means literally in translation or as close as I could find is show me the body. So I guess, you know, if you're going to accuse me of murder, show me the body. That's how I'm interpreting it. But I don't know. Many years ago, remember when I was doing that research on genealogy and I was researching that ancestor that had been a prisoner of war? Yes. He filed a suit of writ of habeas corpus against the U.S. government because he was imprisoned and he was imprisoned for treason because that was during the civil war like right before the civil war started or right during the civil war i can't remember i have to go back to my research but anyway that was what it means is unjustly imprisoned yeah because we were cowboy bandits right no oh, i don't know i don't think cowboy bandits no we were like west virginia no okay so anyway the writ of habeas corpus that that's a fundamental right guaranteed in the bill of rights of the constitution it protects you against unlawful and indefinite imprisonment so you have you have the right to a speedy trial you know you have the right to um you know you can't have cruel and unusual punishment that kind of thing all right so she files a petition for that because she's saying that my part in this murder does not justify getting that much prison time is what she's saying you know you I just helped cover up the evidence. I helped dump the bodies, yeah, but I didn't point, actually kill them. Yeah, at this point, she's more more so of an accessory, I feel like. What do you mean? Yeah. Like she she was kind of, I mean, obviously just by her testimony, she was she left and came back and helped dispose, but she really didn't do She didn't anything. call the police, right. She, she could have done things, but, you know, in certain situations, your judgment is definitely impaired. The court thought that too, because they dismissed her case. That so she's pissed. In September 2008, they closed her judgment. Her petition's dismissed. You took part in it. You concealed it. That, you're a part of it. You're just as guilty. So of course she's upset, and she's decided she's had enough. So you know she said, once my appeals were exhausted, I had no hope left, and I chose to create my own justice. I served the equivalent of 21 years of my sentence, and I felt that was enough. So what alternative does she have? Why? She escapes, of course. Remember, I told I read that article to you at the beginning of the first one. So yes. she's like, fuck this. I'm out of here. I've served my time. She starts planning. 
you know, she, she starts planning and she escapes within a month of that denial of dismissal of her. So, we all love a good escape story. Right. So, you know, this girl is, I don't know, she's, she's vibrant and full of life. I'm sorry that she went to a life of crime because, you know, she probably could have been hugely successful. On August 4th, 2008, she escaped from Rockville Correctional Center, a medium security prison 50 miles west of Indianapolis. So there's an inmate count and they realize that someone's missing and they're trying to figure out who it is. So there's a a maximum security lockdown. All the prisoners are put in their rooms and their cells or whatever. And they figure out finally that it's Pender who's missing. You know, they, they view video surveillance tapes and pretty quickly they figured out how she got out of there they knew she was long gone so here's what happened plot thickens it is it's super interesting so she reportedly planned this mastermind escape in less than a month and she'd probably been thinking about this for a while and i didn't put it in the slides but remember that her roommates were actually escapees from another uh, Nevada Correctional Center. She may have gotten ideas from them. She, she, you know, you know, they sat around and talked about that. Yeah, of course. You know, they did. They're probably like, oh yeah, this is how we did it. So. It's um, probably the greatest story they ever had. Yeah. So she's got a great (laughs) one too. So what she did is she got her hands on a cell phone. She had her boyfriend send her a cell phone so that she could orchestrate her plan from her cell. Now, law enforcement officers found out who her boyfriend was. The guy bringing her the cell phone was Scott Spittler, who was a prison guard. Dun, dun, dun. Right? So on August 4th, 2008, she snuck into the gym where she changed into civilian clothes. Spittler had hidden them like in a ceiling tile and that's where they later found her prison uniform. So they did catch her on surveillance tape like walking out of a, the gymnasium door into a fueling area where the guards were. Spittler, the prison guard, had agreed to meet her in this fueling area. And as soon as she gets out, he's like, okay, get in the van and hide under the seat. Then he just calmly drives to the prison gate where he knew he wasn't going to, you know, they're not going to search the van. So he got through the gate. He drove her to one of the facility's parking lots, which I guess is some distance away. That's where Jamie Long, her, remember her former prison wife? Yeah. Um, Jamie gave her $140 and drove her to Indianapolis where she said she dropped her off. So let me tell you about her accomplice, Scott Spittler. He was a corrections officer at Rockville Correctional Facility. He'd been there for five years, exemplary record. He was arrested the day after the escape and charged with assisting a criminal, official misconduct, sexual misconduct, and trafficking with an inmate. In February 2009, he uh, was sentenced to eight years in jail. He, he pled. He didn't go to trial, he, but he wasn't expecting an eight-year sentence. He did later appeal the sentence saying it's too harsh. You know, I was an upstanding, um, upstanding citizen. I did everything you asked. I answered all the questions. Honestly, eight years is too much. He claimed um, that he was manipulated. Poor little old him had been manipulated by that Manson-like Sarah Pender. Remember her her attorney? Here we go again. Right? So now he's bringing it. Oh, she manipulated me. This dangerous criminal mastermind. She had seductive powers to make others do her bidding. 
And he did. He took advantage of that perception of her. But the court denied his appeals because, you know, they just looked at his record. They pointed out to him, look, you're not as upstanding as you think you are because not only did you have a juvenile open container charge, but one month before his escape, a court ordered that he would be placed in a pretrial diversion program for a misdemeanor charge of battery on his wife. So he was having sex with this woman in prison. He had, uh, he was married with three children at home and he got in some sort of domestic violent situation where yeah, he this, this guy def- definitely does not seem like a good dude. No, Mm-mm. I mean, I don't think he is. Um, and they also found it quite uh, abominable that he was a prison guard. He's, he, it's kind of like, you know, there are certain professions where you are expected to just be better, you know, like cops or teachers or prison guards, you know, you're, you're expected to be more, I guess, more upstanding, you know, it's like you're a prison guard, you're paying for it. So they said, no, they gave him the maximum they could give him. Now, her wife, her prison wife, Jamie Long, the other accomplice, of course, they knew immediately who picked her up from the parking lot because Spittler told them. So she was arrested a couple days later and charged with aiding an escape, a Class C felony, and she was sentenced to seven years. She was 41 years old and married to Larry Long, but she had a criminal history of two felonies and 12 to 15 other convictions. And as I said, they met in 2001 while they were inmates at Marion County Jail, and they formed an intimate relationship and long referred to Pender as her wife while they served time at the Indiana Women's Prison. And then after her release, she still visited her. You know, she was still considered her, you know, her friend and wife. So these two are arrested. They go to trial. But in the meantime, Sarah is out there. She's out there living her best life. But, and no one knows where, he, where she is. So in October 2008, the U.S. Marshals adds her to the 15 most wanted fugitive lists, and she's the only woman on the list at the time. You know, it's it's an interesting story. So people are intrigued by it, right? I don't think I'd ever heard of it before I found that article. But her story was featured in an episode of America's Most Wanted that aired in early fall 2008, like maybe just a few weeks after she escaped. The episode featured a rundown of the double homicide as well as her prison escape. And she's portrayed as evil and dangerous. As a matter of fact, you know, they have like the police giving little interviews and the Indiana police captain, Mark Rice, warned the public not to approach her. She was considered extremely dangerous. Um, They mentioned that she was compared to Charles Manson at the trial lurking within was a dark evil demon she has the ability to seduce others you know they're just making it so salacious so sensationalized yeah you know how joe walsh or yeah whoever yeah no matter who it is and i don't know is he on is he the guy for that one america's most wanted he thinks he used to be for sure it seems Uh, like they do they do make things a lot more sensational than they had to be but they did they ended the feature with this little tidbit She is somebody who's been convicted of two murders. She's escaped. She's liable to do anything and use her wiles and cunning in order to get what she wants. That's Sarah Pender. Wherever you are, we gonna find you. Well, and they do. Um, On December 22nd, 2008, two hours after a rerun of that episode of America's Most Wanted aired, her neighbor called police and identified her. 
And so the police swarmed her apartment. You know, it was like a SWAT team and it, she was arrested at her apartment. She did not resist arrest. She, she's denied. She's like, I'm Ashley Thompson. I'm not Sarah Pender, but it was Sarah Pender. And so this whole time she was settled in a North side Chicago neighborhood where she went under the name Ashley Thompson. She had a really good job. She was an estimator for a contractor. And I even read somewhere that they think she volunteered at an Obama campaign stuffing envelopes or something. She's, she's either got to be completely innocent and just in this by association, or she's got to have the biggest case of Jekyll and Hyde. She doesn't feel remorse. You know, she's, it's all about me, me, me. But she did, she led an ordinary life. Like she was under the radar and in Chicago, she didn't, you know, I mean, she had fun, she did things, um, but she said it was ordinary and uneventful. And she has a blog called The Long Way Home. It's actually, I looked at it, there's nothing there. It's taken down, like there's no information on it. Like it looked like maybe one that you paid for. And if you stop paying for it, it just shuts itself down. But there's nothing there. There is a very brief description of herself. And it says stuff like, oh, I'm a good person. Please find out for yourself. You know, that kind of thing. So she's apprehended. And so she's she goes back to Indiana and she's not at the Rockville Center anymore. She's now at the Indiana Women's Prison in Indianapolis. And she was in solitary confinement for five years. Solitary confinement is you're in your cell for 22 hours a day and you get out for like two hours a day for, she, she wrote um, an essay on that, that, which I have in the show notes. If anybody wants to read it, I have it in there, but it's quite interesting. It's quite dramatic. She talks about being in solitary, which would suck, right? Especially yeah. if you're a person who's a narcissist or somebody who needs a lot of attention with other from others. Yeah, as much as I like, I need my time to recharge, I definitely need my time around other people. Yeah. This punishment, some say should have lasted a year solitary confinement and that was arbitrarily prolonged because she had escaped and, you know, they didn't want her to be back in the general population. She was under strict observation. I already told you that she was featured on America's Most One of it. A lot of other people were very interested in her story. I mean, she's been featured on a lot of other document documentaries and um, podcasts. A lot of people want to write books about her. And one man in particular, one author, Steve Miller, in 2009, started researching for his book on her escape, Girl Wanted, The Chase for Sarah Pender. It was released June 7th, 2011. The book has been criticized as inaccurate and deliberately quoting key documents in a misleading way. I personally have not read the book, so I'm not sure. That's just what I read. What I do know is that the author actually met with the prosecutor, Larry Sells, to get primary documents and information for his book. Well, so Sells pulls out all of his old files on Pender and he starts looking through them. They're poking around through old detective files and they discover a piece of paper that was written by witness Floyd Pennington, and it was titled Snitch List. He had a snitch list and he had like listed all of these names and it said, had like notes by them, like I can get this person to talk about such and such. And it had Sarah Pender's name on it with pen pal relationship. I can get her to talk. The lawyer, Larry Sells is like, okay, this is weird. I've never seen this before. So he doesn't really think much about the snitch list at the time, but then the book is published. He reads Miller's book in 2012 and he remembers that snitch list. And I don't think it's all about that, but I think 
somebody in her family read it and said, okay, there's a snitch list. This could be evidence. So they contact Larry Sells and he starts thinking about it. And he's like, you know, this could be an important piece of evidence. It was important to me. And it should have been given to Pender's lawyer way back during her trial. So he was convinced that Pennington, Floyd Pennington made up the story about Pender because he's about to go away for a while. Remember, he was an habitual uh, felonious offender. He had a lot of felonies and I think he had child molestation on his list and raping, robbery. So he was about to go to prison for a really long time. Yeah, so he's looking for any way to... Right, and he only served like maybe five or seven years before being released, and within a very short time, he raped someone and went back to prison. So Sells is like, you know, the evidence was a snitch list. Neither he nor the attorney knew, the defense attorney knew existed at trial. That means that he unwittingly built a murder case against Pender with dubious testimony. Like, that's untrustworthy. This guy is, this testimony is untrustworthy. And this is the same guy that years before it says she was like Manson and she's evil and it's the same guy. So he's quick to point out that she's not innocent. She assisted the killer. She helped to conceal the murders, but the maximum sentences on those crimes would have already been served years ago. He does believe that she had been wrongfully convicted on the murder charges. He offered to help maybe get her an appeal for or get a new trial for a fair trial. And of course, you know, the, the wheels of the court go very slow. So in the meantime, in 2011, there's a mail art project where you can send us your hand where you like trace your hand and send it to Sarah because she's in solitary confinement. It's this big uh, publicized event that they did. And then her case was profiled on Snap in 2012. The show featured interviews with Sarah Pender and her relatives as well as those of many people involved. So I really want to try to find that episode. I think maybe me and you watched a video from that where she talked about when she escaped she was just talking about how her life was totally normal and like okay did we watch that video the other night though i think we watched the clip of it the other night yeah she said the question was what was it like to be free and she said it was beautiful or something like that didn't she yeah she she definitely said it was you know uneventful but yeah like but it was just so beautiful she seemed so zen when she said it In 2013, the court denied her appeal, even though the prosecuting attorney at her trial was at bat for her. He told the court, he said, I never would have called this guy to the stand. I I may not even have tried her for the murders if I'd have known it was a snitch list. And if I had, maybe she never would have been found guilty. Still, she was denied the appeal. The court, you know, like what you said, you admitted to, you admitted to being there, you admitted to helping dump the bodies, you didn't call the police, you're just as liable. And that's what the court says. Now, personally, as I said, I haven't found any evidence of remorse from her at all. I did read something that her family put out. Oh, she was very upset by Trisha's murder. They were really good friends, but it's all from her friends and family and not from her. So I don't know how she feels. She talks, she does talk to the press a lot, but never about anything but herself. I seriously doubt that she's completely innocent of the murders. Like maybe she didn't actually shoot them, but, you know, I think maybe they talked about it before because, you know, drugs and money and 
Yeah, I was about to say that, you know, when you have friends and the only reason you're friends with them is drugs, usually bad things happen. You know, no matter what I think of her, I still feel like she should be granted a new trial based on the new evidence. But I can guarantee you that we have not heard the last of Sarah Pender. She is moving through the appellate court system. And I don't think we've seen the last ever. So as of right now, she's still in prison where she will be, like I said, until she turns at least 75. So how, how old is she now? 41. So she still has what, 35 years, 34 years. You, you get, you age quick when you're in prison. I feel I feel like her story is a bit like a movie plot. Well, you know, okay, there is a movie I forgot to tell you. <laughs> it's a lifetime movie and it's called Oh my gosh, I I meant to put it in the slide when I just now read it. Um there's a lifetime movie. Oh, I cannot remember like, the It's it's the perfect plot, you it know. It is. You start off with the other two people running away from prison. They meet up with Rick Hall, Sarah Pender. And you've got this lifestyle of drugs and alcohol and bars. You're going to to see fish every weekend. And, you know, next thing you know, you come back and your boyfriend's got a 12 gauge and he's covered in blood. Oh, yeah. And well, then, depend on which way, which way the movie took. Like, yeah, because because then it could be her like, yeah, you know, doing her Charles Manson thing. Well, I, I will definitely look that movie up and let you know. Um, and I will be sure to put that in our yada yada notes for next week, because I don't know when Cindy's coming back. So, I mean, are you going to are you going to make the commitment to me and our and our uh, it wasn't me family to be here? Uh, next I would, week if we I have would I would love to. Okay. All right. So uh, I am making the commitment. I am on the team. Okay. You heard that. You heard that out there. Okay. One of these days I might actually have him research a murder, you know, so that would be very interesting. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us this week. We appreciate sharing our passion with you and we thank you for your support. If you'd like to support us even further, please consider subscribing to our podcast and giving us a five-star rating and a comment. Your subscription and ratings are essential to our success. You can do this on your favorite platform. For more information and links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages, visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com. Please recommend It Wasn't Me to your true crime-loving friends and family. Also, thank you to our Patreon supporters. You are the extra. You too can become one of our beloved patrons by signing up at patreon.com slash itwasn'tmepod. Thanks again, guys. And remember, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. Did lose.